I'm telling you right now, one of two things has to happen. Either I need to start getting better sleep going from Sunday into Monday, or I'm permanently moving these podcasts to Tuesday. <laughs> it's been a rough, rough day for me so far. But I am here with as much energy as I can bring to the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast. My name is Mike. I thank you for checking us out for the 45 minutes we'll be together whenever you decide to listen to this. That's the great thing about podcasts. I'm putting this together Monday afternoon, but you can listen to this anytime you like, whether it be this week or sometime next week. You want to check out all the archives from the previous podcasts we've done, and I've got some other stuff online as well. Podomatic will always be the main home for the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast, but anywhere you check out podcasts, you can check out all the long-form stuff that I've been doing for the past several months, or the shorter-form stuff, individual things, going back to my days at uh, 106.7 K-Jug Country, 104.9 The Wolf in Peoria, Illinois, and so on and so forth. So please do check out everything that's here on the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast. I've been thinking about things and trying to make this more entertaining for you. What I want to start doing more of, and I've done it here and there, with a couple of the things that I've hit on, is make this a little bit more like The View, um, with less of the political drama, although that may come up from time to time, but no dramatic departures from the show, because at this point, there's just me. That may change down the road. I may add a co-host with me at some point. I may bring my wife on. I don't think I've done that yet. My kids have been on a few times. I've had a couple conversations uh, Rochelle in Springville comes to mind. I had her on a few weeks ago talking about uh, the mug, the tumbler that she had that was returned to her. If you missed that podcast, it was a really emotional one to do. I encourage you to check that one out on this page as well. But at this point, it's just me. But I do remember from having watched The View years ago when I was in between jobs, on the beach, they like to say, I don't know why it's called being on the beach when you're out of work. And I don't know if that's true of, of any profession, but in radio specifically, they say when you're out of work, you're on the beach. In fact, there are trade publications that have entire sections every single week dedicated to those who are on the beach. And that year, I was actually featured one week. Uh, I don't know if it helped me get the job I got, but hey, <laughs> I'll take it. So when I was on the beach, I had a chance to watch The View every once in a while. So I know the format of it. They grab stories that grab their attention, and every single person on the panel gets to comment, and you have conservative viewpoints, you have liberal viewpoints. For the most part, I believe they've always all been women. So you get a woman's perspective, um, some entertainers, some just known for their opinions on things. It, it's, it's a good cross-section, I think. But I like that format in grabbing things that you're already talking about and maybe giving you a different perspective on it than maybe you haven't heard before. Or maybe talking about things that you haven't heard that maybe you should have. Like the first thing I want to talk about this go around, and I've got a whole bunch I want to hit on, is, and I'm saying that this is from the Rush to Judgment file. Not sure if you heard about this. I grabbed this story first thing this morning, and I looked at it, and I shook my head. And I thought, yeah, 2021, it really doesn't surprise me. Then there was an update on the story, and it's the update that made me say, yeah, I do want to talk about this. 
with the Insert Clever and Woody Name podcast here this week. I didn't mention it on the air this morning on My 97.5 because at that point, we'd only heard half the story. Now we have the full story of what happened this past weekend in Denver, Colorado, as the Colorado Rockies were taking on the Florida Marlins. I believe it was the ninth inning when Florida outfielder Lewis Brinson was at bat. And there was a fan that was behind home plate. And you could tell which fan it was because while what he said was audible on camera, you saw him waving at someone, something over down the first baseline. Wasn't looking at the field. And I'm assuming the play-by-play announcer didn't know that as he heard what he thought he heard and then said this. Now I'm going to play the actual audio for you. This is not beeped out because it doesn't need to be. And I'll explain why in just a second. All right, so you heard the commentary there. You heard, the, well, the yelling first, and then the commentary by the play-by-play announcer. I'm assuming that was the Florida Marlins play-by-play announcer, because I think the Colorado Rockies play-by-play announcer may have known better. Now, what you probably think you may have heard was that maybe somewhat intoxicated fan, and that may or may not have been the case, yelling the N-word twice but I mentioned a moment ago, you could clearly see it. And it was a fan, obviously a Rockies fan. He had a Rockies jersey on. And I don't care how poorly or how well your team is playing. If you have seats behind home plate, either you are loaded, you're a season ticket holder, which by default means you're loaded, or you know someone who is. Because those are not cheap seats at any point in the season. For any team, no matter how well they're doing in their hopes to make the playoffs. So you heard the audio. What Again, you didn't see is the fan. The second time he said, the word he said, him waving his hand and kind of gesturing towards someone, something over on the first baseline. What, again, I'm assuming it was the Marlins play-by-play announcer. What that individual didn't know is... The Colorado Rockies have a mascot, as most teams do. It started a few years ago. I remember the Chicago Cubs. I think Cubby is the name of their mascot. It was introduced to make the games more fan-friendly, more kid-friendly, to get more kids coming to the ballpark, and also is a great way of allowing the team to get into children's hospitals and have the mascot go to those hospitals and be a, a liaison for the team and just create some goodwill. So most teams, depending on how publicly they promote it, they do have a mascot that does things like this. I don't know if that aspect is also true with the Rockies mascot, but they have one. It's a a polka-dotted dinosaur. The the polka-dotted dinosaur's name, and it's very fan-friendly, very kid-friendly looking, almost like a big stuffed animal of a dinosaur. Triceratops, I believe. His name is Dinger. D-I-N-G-E-R. Yes, you know, (laughs) it's all starting to make sense. So what everyone thought they were hearing that, again, possibly slightly inebriated fan yelling was actually, Dinger! Dinger! 
and waving towards Dinger. Now, this was confirmed by the team. Now, I'll be honest, when I first read the story, first thing this morning, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, it grabbed my attention because of what was assumed at that point. In fact, ESPN Sports Center Sunday night, they did a story on it, and I believe they actually, in playing the audio, beeped out Dinger, thinking that the fan was actually saying something else, and the team made an announcement. They tweeted out they're going to do a full investigation, find out what happened, because, again, this was obviously said by something very close to a microphone, and those microphones are very close to the field. So they, they looked at the video, checked the audio, saw, well, look, if look, we can see the guy's lips moving, and he's waving just, at, yeah, it must be him. So they tried getting in touch with him. They did get in touch with other fans around that area and to a person. They all said, no, no, no. Yeah, we, we okay, we, we get it because it sounds somewhat like it, but we were there. Dude was saying dinger. And that they should have done, again, it's a cute name, slang term for a home run and all that, but what they really should have done, do their due diligence on this, is before they decided on a name, and maybe other teams will learn from this if they're deciding to have a mascot that does community outreach and things like that, make sure, and this goes for minor league teams as well, um, set up a camera and simulate crowd noise in a ball game going on and have someone near a microphone and yell out the mascot's name a few times and make sure that there, there's no reason why anyone would think that um fan is yelling out something that should never be yelled out at a baseball game in 2021 um but it does go to show where we are in 2021 and that when i first read the story it it grabbed my attention and i saw again that espn covered it as a story and there were some youtube videos on it as well and some pundits decrying Major League Baseball, make sure you do something about this, permanently ban this person, this human being should be run up the flagpole, you know, host of different things. It didn't surprise me as much as it should have based on the temperature, on the barometric pressure in this country today that a fan would have done that. Um, I'm sure it does happen. There are players, specifically outfielders, that constantly tell you to this day, and it's been going on for years, when they're in the outfield, especially come the latter innings, when they've had a few brews and the sun's been doing its work on them as well, and they're with a group of friends of theirs, and they will start yelling out things to outfielders. And it happens more so, I hate even saying this, but it does with the outfielders that kind of embrace the fans when they first go out there, the first few innings, and they have a little fun with them, especially if it's from the other team. Um, and a lot of times you'll see in Major League Baseball games when an outfielder will catch the last out of an inning, they'll turn and toss the ball to fans. And, and sometimes that outfielder will catch the ball and pretend to toss it to one group of fans and then toss it somewhere else and have some fun with them. And even if they do that and you thought you were going to get a ball and it ends up going to a kid in the next section away from you, there's, there's no place, there's no excuse for language like that. I'm glad that everyone did their due diligence on this one and found out that dinger was the word that was said and not the, uh, 
the word that it sounded like. So um, chalk that one up to a, a misunderstanding. So my son loves video games. I used to as well. I had, um, had ColecoVision. If you remember ColecoVision back in the day, years ago. Uh, and I had a, a really good friend of mine who had Intellivision. And that was fun. And then got into Nintendo and had the Atari 2600, did all of those. I wish, I wish... I still had some of those. I wish I had my old Commodore 64 computer. Remember those? Commodore 64 with that huge disk drive. My mom and dad got me one when I was still young. Um, my parents saw the writing on the wall very early on. They saw where things were going with computers and, and specifically got it for me and my sister, but more so for me. Because they knew, okay, this, this is obviously something that is not going away anytime soon well ahead of the curve. We were the only ones in my neighborhood, I think, growing up that actually had a personal computer. And nobody had one at that point. Apple wasn't even being talked about. It, the Commodore 64 was the first one, I think, that was uh, reasonably priced. There were IBM computers that were out there, but they were all so clunky to deal with. Uh, and basic, the, the computer language, was what I actually learned and actually wrote some code in basic years ago. I couldn't do anything with it now, but if I had only held on to some of those computer components, and specifically video games, this is absolutely insane. Saw this this morning and didn't get a chance to touch on it on my 97.5 this morning, but I'll save it for you. A sealed copy, so still in the shrink wrap, of Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo Inter Entertainment System sold for a record two million dollars at auction recently. So, first of all, it's never been played, this particular game. Again, because it's still in the original shriek wrap from the company. Whenever things like this go up for auction, they are inspected over and over and over. Is that the actual shrink wrap, as opposed to maybe someone opening it and playing with it and putting their own shrink wrap on it? No, this was verified to be authentic in the original sealed wrapping. That game from 1985. I had that system. I had that game. Now, you're not going to tell someone who was a you know, teenager, preteen at that point, that I wasn't going to be playing on that system. Oh, no, no. No, you play. And that's what you're supposed to do. But... I have learned over the years, especially with DVDs that I think are going to be collectible at some point, Deadpool uh, being one of them, just something about that movie told me, okay, this is one I think I may want to hold on to. So what I did was, when people still bought Blu-rays and DVDs, is I bought the Metal Box Blu-ray from Target. I opened one, and I bought a second one that is still in the original shrink wrap that has the sticker on it and everything. I become a pack rat with stuff like that because I read stories like this all the time. I come across them on a daily basis. It's one of the occupational hazards with trying to find things every single morning that I think you'll find entertaining. And, in fact, I did talk about this this morning now that I think about it. I just briefly touched on it. But the, uh, the record was previously broken uh, was 1.56 million. So it, it absolutely shattered the record. 
Uh, and then the record before that was for a 1987 uh, Nintendo game, still on the wrap, The Legend of Zelda. That sold for $870,000. So you go from $870,000 as the record just a few years ago, I believe. Then a couple days after that, the record was set at $1.56 million. I take it back now. This was just over the course of a month or so. And now we've gone from 870000 to $2 million. I hate even thinking. Well, I should say I love even thinking about what the next record could be. So I don't know how much storage space you have at your place, but if there's any way, whenever you get a feeling about a certain game or, or anything that you can afford to buy two of, buy one for you and buy one for you. Buy one for you now and buy one for you later because... $2 million for something for 1985 would be absolutely phenomenal. All right, so moving on to something else that I think you may have heard, talked about on The View, but again, I wouldn't know because I don't get a chance to watch very often. Um, and I did talk about this last week. It was National Gossip Day or something like that, and it's always been my perception, maybe because of the fact that I am a guy, and I don't believe... I should say that I don't believe I gossip very much, if at all. But on National Gossip Day, I wanted to try to find if there was anyone who'd ever done the definitive research on who gossips more, men or women. And I found this, um, this article. Where would I find this? This was at everydayhealth.com. So mental health, that, that qualifies. So it's like most articles like this, they, they hook you with the men versus women, who gossips more? And, and it even has the little fact-checked symbol next to it. Well, it's been fact-checked, and it must be true. And it was on the Internet, so it's absolutely true. <laughs> but you, you start reading, and then you realize, oh, they're going to set me up for a long read on this because you have the introductory paragraph, and I read that, and then I read the headline for the next paragraph, women and gossip. And then the next uh, headline after that, after two or three paragraphs, why women gossip? And then do women gossip more finally? It took the third sub-headline to get to it. And then the other question, do women gossip more? And that's where it started getting into some of the, uh, the actual research that they'd done. So this is what they said under that particular sub-headline again, do women gossip more? One of the, the lines in here. So research conducted by a UK nonprofit organization concluded that according to this study, and they specifically did gossiping on the phone, so they narrowed the scope just a little bit. According to the study, 33% of men gossiped on their phone daily, as opposed to 26% of women. Now... Men are probably saying, no, 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 no. That's, 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 that's flawed research. Here's what they noted, that men don't realize they're gossiping a lot of the time because what men have a tendency to do is brag on themselves a little bit when it comes to what happened last night, Mondays in particular, I would imagine. Guy's talking to his buddy on the phone. Hey, man, I heard you had a date with Susie last night. How would that go Sunday? Oh, man, I got to tell you, Susie was great. And then the stories start coming. Whether they're true or not, okay, may think he's bragging on himself, but 
you're also at the same time gossiping on whoever it is you went on that date with. So it's sometimes not thought of as your typical gossip, what you think of with women at the salon or at work or wherever it may happen to be talking about uh, a coworker of theirs or their boss or whoever it may happen to be. It's, it's gossip that doesn't seem like gossip because you think you're just talking about you, but you're talking about you in relation to someone else. So with that in mind, again, I'm one of those, I have my opinions on a lot of things like everybody else does. You show me some research on something, and I could go to this company's website. They are the Social Issues Research Center. Center, of course, because it's in the UK spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. CERC, short. So if you went to their website, again, Social Issues Research Center, I'm sure you could dig deep into their records. I don't know how recently they did this. It was just published recently. But you could find the research that they did, and I'm sure they give explanations as to when it was done and how it was done. And So I, I, I defer to those who've done the research on it as opposed to, well, my gut tells me X. Listen, um, I dated a bit before my wife and I got married. Several times, my gut would tell me this is the one. <laughs> my, my mom and I always used to have the conversation when I would date someone and think, well, maybe this is the one, and then it turns out that that person wasn't the one for a host of different reasons, sometimes their fault, sometimes my fault. My mom would always tell me, it's okay. You'll know when you know. And I would tell her every once in a while, apparently my you know doesn't work because I thought I knew with her. So there are a lot of times I think I know what's what. I thought I knew that women gossip more than men. And maybe in my stereotypical definition of the word gossip, that may be true, but not when it comes to the research. And who am I to argue with the research? So did you watch the Olympics? Olympic Games over now. But I saw this last week, and I commented on this brief, briefly as well on my 97.5. Two in five Americans think they have what it takes to be an Olympian. That's an attention grabber. So I read on. This was from uh, swnsdigital.com from last week. Two in five Americans believe they have what it takes to be Olympic athlete. Uh, new research suggests in a recent national representative survey of 1,000 U.S. residents, 40% think they're fit enough to compete in at least one summer or winter sport at the Olympics. That includes three times as many men as women, 60% versus 22%. Half of all respondents are from the Northeast, 52%, and almost 70% of those under the age of 35. Well, I would hope so. You don't see a lot of athletes over the age of 35 competing in the Olympics. And we're talking about people who think that they're ready right, right now. Like, tell them what the rules are, and they could get out there and do it. I can understand if you had just watched curling with the Winter Olympics. And before you think I'm bashing curling, I, I hate admitting this, but I did when I first heard about it. Before I saw it, if you don't know, curling is kind of like a combination of shuffleboard, bocce, 
the Italian game with the balls, and horseshoes done on ice with a big, smooth, somewhat round, at least flat on one side, stone. Check out YouTube. There are tons of videos on there. And it is. It's shuffleboard on ice without the little sticky thingy. There's a handle that's been, I don't know, super glued on top of this stone. And <laughs> what's, what's great about curling is you have the curler. I'm sure he's got a better name than that, but we'll just call him the curler. Or her. Well, I don't know, let's not be sexist. So the curler will have the, the, the stone. I think it's actually called the stone, now that I think about it, with the handle. And maybe the handle has a different name. So they'll have it, and they will push off on this block. I'm sure the block has a separate name, too. But they'll push off on that, and they'll kind of guide, like with one leg bent out behind them and then bending the other knee. So there's some flexibility involved. And then they'll push the stone. Now, that's not the end of it, because now you have, and I'm certain these people have to have names. Uh, we'll just call them the brushers. They have these... Um, I don't know what to call them, brooms, small brooms, basically, that the um, the hurler will tell them on occasion to kind of brush the ice, to, to, to warm it up a little bit. And in doing so, it, I believe, slows the stone down a little bit. And depending on the path of the stone, you could slow it down on one side as opposed to the other, so it gets a little bit of the spin, so it turns one way or the other, or... Just brush it completely so it just slows it down a lot because it, it that friction causes a little bit of heat, which melts the ice a little bit. So as it hits that little wet spot, it slows down just enough to make it turn. You can get the idea. But <coughs> what caught me the first year that I watched is the um, the the hurler, the stoner, maybe. <laughs> Let's call him that. When he wanted the, the brushers to really crank it, but he realized he pushed it a little bit too hard. He needed to slow it down. You would get this. <clears throat> hard! <laughs> and sure enough, they're there. <laughs> Just brushing away at this ice. Trying to get it to melt. To slow that stone down or get it to turn one way or the other. Hard! Oh, it's good stuff. So maybe, maybe these people are thinking, sure, I could be a stoner or I could be a brusher. I could go hard when someone tells me to do it. Um, last I checked, bags, if you're from the Midwest, or cornhole, if you're on the West Coast, that's uh, it's not an Olympic sport yet. Uh, that may be working on it. Other things that uh, events that maybe people were thinking that they could possibly participate in, uh, nothing else really <laughs> comes to mind. I don't think jarts, lawn darts. I don't. I don't think that's been adopted as an Olympic sport uh, yet. What has? And I talked about this this morning because I saw a video on ESPN eight. Yes. Remember years ago, Dodgeball, the movie, they joked about there being an ESPN 8 at some point, and apparently ESPN thought that that was the coolest thing ever. So whenever there is a fringe sport that they want to cover, they'll drop it on the Ocho, ESPN 8. So 
In between Olympic coverage this past weekend, with yesterday being the last official day of the Games, I, I was kind of channel surfing, and I got to ESPN. Didn't say eight on the sidebar on Xfinity, but I watched long enough to see ESPN 8 come up. They were having coverage of the World Chase Tag Finals. If you haven't heard, uh, the game tag is now a sport. <laughs> okay, I'm laughing, but these really are athletes. Now, you hear that. You hear world chase tag. First of all, do you need the word chase in there? Was was just calling it tag, was that taken? So they had to add another word in there just so they could avoid having to pay to get the name licensed to somebody else for themselves? I, I have no idea, but it's the world chase tag finals. And dudes took this stuff seriously. I'm talking about the play-by-play -play and the color announcers. So I had the play-by-play -play announcer who I'm sure would rather have been doing anything else. He would rather be doing bowling than this when he first got the assignment. And I'm sure he's, his agent called him up. Dude, I, I got your job with ESPN. Sweet. What am I doing? NBA, NCAA, you're doing world chase tag. Excuse me? So they got the play-by-play -play announcer, and the color analyst was actually someone who participates. You typically have to have that when you have a play-by-play -play and a color announcer. Always helps to have the color individual be someone who is familiar enough with the sport, someone that's played and knows the rules and knows the right terminology. I can't tell you how many times in watching the Olympics, the play-by-play -play and the color announcer, either both or individually, would get some of the terminology wrong with stuff, and then one would have to correct the other. But but these guys nailed it. They knew everything. They knew about the square. They knew about each... So if you haven't seen the video, again, look it up on YouTube, anywhere you like. World Chase Tag. Three words. And it's uh, this square that's been set up with all these uh, obstacles in it. Each obstacle has its own name. And now maybe earlier on in the coverage when they first went to it, they covered the names of all the obstacles. I didn't see that part of it. I caught the, like, the very end of the event. And I got to say, I was, um, I was hooked. It, I, I hate admitting that because, again, World Chase Tag, it would, it would do me a world of good to be able to, to sit here and, and have fun at the expense of World Chase Tag. And... So what's next, Ghost in the Graveyard as as a sport? We already have the game show, The Floor is Lava. So, yeah, why not this? But I, I watched, and, and these are athletes. They really are. Uh, parkour is the discipline that I think most of them come from. If you've watched American Ninja Warrior, you're familiar with parkour and some of the things that these athletes, and they really are, are able to do and the jumps and the moves and scaling walls and, and all the stuff. The first time I was introduced to parkour was with the first Daniel Craig James Bond movie, Casino Royale. And there's a chase scene very early on in the movie. It's one of the first things that happens in the movie. And most, if not all, of the disciplines used by, and I, I'm fairly certain it wasn't Daniel Craig, it may have been the actor who he was chasing. It was a minor actor who was being pursued by Daniel Craig's character. But I'm sure Daniel Craig had a stunt double for all the parkour parts. At one point, they were scaling the scaffolding of this building and jumping from floor to floor to floor. I don't believe, I haven't done the research on it. I don't know, 
but I don't believe that they used any special effects for that. It was all stuntmen doing these insane parkour stunts. I did do the research to find out that that is a parkour discipline. Then a few years later, I saw American Ninja Warrior and saw all the athletes that are on that show. And most of them are either rock climbers or parkour athletes. And a lot of them are able to borrow from both disciplines. It's usually the, the rock climbers that tend to do well with the upper body strength. But that's where they come from with this World Chase Tag event. And yeah, the fact that they can run through those obstacles without banging their heads or their shins or their legs. Right? I'm sure when they're first training, there's a lot of that. But we're talking about the World Chase Tag finals here. So these are guys, and I don't think there are any women in this. And maybe there is a women's final as well. I caught the men's. But not once did I see anyone come close to even doing anything that looked like a stumble or a fall, unless they, they were diving after someone. So if you haven't seen it, there there's the chaser. Again, I don't know what the terminology is. And then there is the evader. You're trying to evade the tag. You have 20 seconds which doesn't sound like a lot of time, but that's 20 seconds of pure adrenaline running away from someone trying to chase you through this obstacle course that you're looking out for things that you can either jump on, swing from, go under. You see a lot of that sliding underneath stuff and then grabbing onto other things, whipping yourself back up onto the top of the mountain. That's one of the obstacles there. Uh, and all sorts of different parkour disciplines that's used for this sport. Wouldn't surprise me in the least if at some point that is at least thought of as a possible Olympic sport, why not? There are a lot of things I saw in this year's games that I, that's a sport? Really? But not one of them, going back to the original subject of what I read this morning about two and five Americans think they have what it takes to be an Olympian. I know. <laughs> no. Two in five Americans are fooling themselves into thinking they have what it takes to be an Olympic athlete. That'll be the title of next week's article. All right, so in closing this week, in the 10 minutes or so that we have left, I want to send a shout-out to my new friends at the Creative Center. There was an event that was held at the Ice House Theater this past weekend. I don't know what the status of it was. It, it closed for the longest time because of COVID-19. If you're not familiar, the Ice House Theater in um, Visalia, it's a theater group. And, and maybe it's been taken over by the Creative Center. That I'm not sure. I'm going to have to do some more research on it. But the campus was opened up this past Friday for a summer film fest. They basically showed some of the films that they had done previously and some of the artwork. Bill Buss... I want to mention him specifically. He had some artwork that was on display that, oh, I'm sorry, Tim Bus. Tim Bus is his name. That was on display there that uh, just was incredible. He showed me, because he was actually there, the first work of art that he painted, and it was incredible. It, it really, if, uh, I wish I had bought it. Most of the art that was on display there was able to be purchased. And um, Elijah was there as well. He was actually the one who originally invited me along with uh, Rosalinda 
So they invited me, and I, I got this letter along with the flyer to the event. And I read some of this on the air last week on my 97.5 during a segment that I call Walking on Sunshine because I was walking on sunshine when I got this letter. Uh, Rosalinda called me on Monday, and she asked me for the address to the station. And I gave it to her, and I asked what it's all about. And she said, Elijah is a big fan, listens every single day, and wanted to make sure that I knew I was invited to this summer film fest going on this weekend. Then she got back to me the next day and said, listen, I, I really want to make sure you get this in time. The last thing I would want is for you to get it Saturday or Monday after the event, so I'm going to bring it by the station. So she did in a manila envelope with the flyer and then also had this letter. Dear Mike Pesto, we are sorry for the loss of your father. We wish you all the best and hope that you will find peace and love in your time of grieving. Our hearts go out to you in this time of need. We like you and your music very much. You are an awesome person and your radio station is the best. And to make you feel better, we are sending you an invite to the Creative Center's Summer Film Festival. Hopefully you can sponsor us on your station. It would be so cool if you did that. We would really appreciate it. The clients here at the Creative Center in Visalia, 606 North Bridge Street, hope you can come. We would be honored if you did. We send out our condolences to you and your family. Thanks a million, the Creative Center. And then they all signed it, Elijah and Tim and Rosa Linda and everyone. In fact, there wasn't room on the front for Laura Hess, so she actually signed the back of it, <laughs> which I thought was so cool. Uh, I didn't see that at first, Laura, in case you're actually listening. But I was, I was moved by that. So I made sure when my wife came home Friday that um, she knew that that's where I wanted to go. And I said, I understand if, if you've had a day and you would rather stay home, but I, I need to go to this. And she read the letter and she said, well, let's go. So we went and we started off the experience. It started at 5 and my wife just got home at 5. So we got there around 6. And there was a presentation in the theater itself where there was a screening of, of a film that they had done a while back. Actually, it was a play that they had filmed. So we watched that, and it was, it was cool because uh, there were members of the Associated Press in the audience that had questions for the actors that were involved in the production, um, all set up ahead of time and asked those questions and got those answers, big applause at the end, and everyone associated with the Creative Center really enjoyed every moment of it, from what I could tell. And then from there, we went across the way to where the art gallery was set up with, again, the, the paintings done by Tim and a host of others. There were some sculptures and some other works of art that were on display there, and it just, it just grabbed me the love that they had in putting all of this together. And then to think of me and my family with everything that we had gone through last month with the passing of my dad and the month before and the days leading up to his passing, that um, they started off that letter wishing us condolences on, on that, and wishing us peace in this time that has it's been difficult for us as a family. And then at the same time, of course, making sure they extended the invitation, which we were happy to accept. 
And again, I have to thank Elijah for, from what I understand, spearheading the whole thing on his end. And it was very happy to see him, and he was very happy to see me. We had never met previously. So Rosalinda, who I actually know, she made the introductions. We had a chance to talk a little bit just in time for the, the first film to begin. There was another one that took place afterwards, which we didn't get a chance to stick around and be a part of. I wish we had now that I think about it, but um, had the whole family there, my wife and our kids. So my daughter, my son didn't get too antsy. We figured it might be best if we, uh, we cut the evening a little short. But, but that meant a lot to me. Back when it was the Ice House, and again, I'm going to have to do some research on this. If anyone knows definitively if the Creative Center in Visalia has taken over that location at this point, and the Ice House is going to look for a, a new place to call home, I wanted for the longest time to actually be involved in a production with the Ice House. I've always had two passions. I know I've mentioned this before, but... Once I realized at some point I'm going to have to work for a living, I wanted to do what it is that I do for a living now. I wanted to be on the air. I grew up just outside of Chicago. I shouldn't say just outside, two or three hours outside of Chicago, well beyond even what you would consider the suburbs of Chicago, in McHenry County, in the village of Huntley. But there were no radio stations in that area that I was aware of. So all of the stations that I listened to all came out of Chicago. And specifically back then, I listened to WLS. And uh, back then, it was Larry Lujak and Little Tommy did the morning show. And they had a segment called Animal Stories, which is why if you listen every morning at 8.10, I do my little nod to them, and I have my own animal story, just a story about animals that I come up with every single day. So that was my, uh, my homage to Larry Lujak and Little Tommy. And I'm not sure who was on after that, but then in the afternoon, they had Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. And I loved listening to them. I was the kid that would sit in front of the boombox. Remember those? With my finger on the pause button and recording mixtape after mixtape after mixtape. And listening to whoever was on the air, and wanting them to shut up already so I could record the next song. And then as I got a little older doing that, I realized I was enjoying the banter between specifically Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer more than the actual music. I recorded some of their bits every once in a while. And in doing so, just started realizing, yeah, yeah that's what I want to do once I have to start working for a living after I finished doing the whole mow the lawn thing, which I also did as a kid before I was old enough to work. But before that, I wanted to act. And I had done a ton of things with local theater groups. And I remember there was one play I was involved with as a, a grade schooler, maybe third or fourth grade. I had the entire play memorized. You know, at that age, you know, there's always someone in the wings willing and able to whisper out a line to anyone who had forgotten their lines. As long as I was on stage, that person could have left the building for a scene or two because if anyone forgot a line, I was there <laughs> to help them with it because I had my lines down. I had their lines down. I think that's one of the reasons I got most of the leads, maybe not based at all on my acting ability, but based on the fact that I was back then able to memorize stuff as easily as I was. And maybe that's why I can't memorize anything anymore. 
Yeah, introduce yourself. Five minutes later, I'm like, etch a sketch. I shake my head, and I forgot your name at that point because I memorized line after line, play after play years ago. But I got into that, and I loved doing it. So at some point, I would like to get involved in one of the local theater groups, be it Ice House, if they are going to return to that location or not, or maybe the Enchanted Playhouse, or maybe Tulare County has something I can be involved with. If anyone knows of anything, and I'd like to get my son or my daughter involved on some level as well, if you could reach out to me, again, the email address, you could reach out to me anytime with anything, and specifically this, Mike Pesto, M-I-K-E-P-E-S-T-O, at me.com and I would love to get that information from anyone and, and maybe pursue that in the um, the weeks to come I think that's about it uh, again thanks to everyone at the Creative Center for um, for thinking of me and my family that that meant the world to me and thank you for checking out as much or as little of this <laughs> as you've been able to as you probably have noticed we have no sponsors on this yet, so I'm just doing this to do this, to have some fun with it. Uh, it's either this or it's a, um, a weekly sit-down with a therapist, and this is a lot cheaper. There's no copay involved, although Podomatic is going to want something as soon as I start getting close to whatever threshold they have as far as memory usage, but I don't think I'm close to that yet. So thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you know of anyone who you think might get a kick out of what I try to do with these every single week, Please do share, subscribe as well, and I will try to do a little better for you next week.